following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. As the fourth and fifth graders are taking off, if you would, open your Bible or electronic device. We're going to be in 1 Peter today. 1 Peter. We're looking at uh, chapter 1, and uh, specifically we're going to be in verse uh, 3 through 5. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew. Uh, just go ahead and grab that one. You don't have a Bible, you can take that home. That's yours. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, it's on the right-hand side of your Bibles. Uh, Peter is a letter to the church uh, that is scattered kind of all over the place. And so um, there are a lot of letters in the New Testament. The New Testament goes like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, his death, and then his resurrection. And then we see in Acts what it looks like for people who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, which just means Savior, his blood that was shed on the cross, uh, is a remission or forgiveness of their sins. Uh, we realize what that looks like in the local church in the book of Acts. And then you get all these letters that kind of are um, scattered all over the place. And uh, these letters tell us how we are to act and how we are to function as a church, what God would want and desire for us uh, as a church. This letter in 1 Peter is written by a guy named Peter, and uh, he is like a lot of us. He says things that he probably shouldn't have said and um, wants to say things that he can't say. He's a common man that God uses in a very uncommon way. He's very ordinary, but he becomes extraordinary. And what we see in Peter's life is really interesting because he messed up so many times. And you and I can relate to that. We mess up all the time. Uh, we kind of stumble forward. Uh, but God gives us his grace. He gives us his mercy. God's grace is unmerited favor. You don't deserve the blessings of God, but he gives it to you regardless. And then his mercy is the withholding of his judgment that God uh, could judge us because of our sin, but he chooses not to when we're underneath, through faith, the blood of Jesus Christ. So if we confess with our mouth that we're sinners and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Savior, he is our Messiah, he's our Savior, and he withholds his judgment from us, not just here on this earth, but also for eternity. We see Peter looks at God and he realizes how great that grace is. That's why there's songs out there like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that it would save a wretch like me. Peter's life and his, um, all of his work that he does for the church is to build God's grace so that we would have an opportunity to realize that we have a reason to praise. And uh, in this specific passage of scripture, he's gonna talk about a living hope. We're gonna try to figure out what that looks like. Let me pray real quick and uh, ask God's blessing upon his word. Heavenly Father, help me to be clear today. A uh, very interesting passage of scripture here in First Peter. Um, help us to uh, look at this, to listen to this, uh, to learn uh, why this is important, and then to live it out. Uh, we don't want to just be people who come in here and just um, listen and then leave um, in ignorance that we didn't uh, understand, but that we should leave with the attitude that this is important for our everyday life, all that we think, say, and do. So God, help me to be clear today. Um, and uh, may you be glorified with all that we think, say, and do. In your name, amen. 
All right, 1 Peter. Let's start at verse 1, okay? We'll get kind of the momentum rolling. I, Peter, there is your author. He was a follower of Jesus. His name was Simon. Jesus calls him Peter because he says, you're the rock and I'm going to use you to build the church. He is an apostle. The qualifications of an apostle, very interesting, had to see the risen Christ, okay? Also had to be commissioned by the Holy Spirit to do something specific. Peter's something specific is that he would build the church, of Jesus Christ with the help of others as well. And he writes, here's his audience, okay? Second part of verse one, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, scattered all over the place, gives five specific places for the mail carrier, first stop Pontius, which is his brother's Andrew's work, Galatia, Cappadocia, which is Paul's work, Asia, where we find the seven churches in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And then Bethina, lots of history uh, going on there in regards to the early church. Now, in Turkey, this is where we would uh, see these places. We realize that the gospel may have been present there for a moment, but right now Turkey's kind of struggling. So if you want to, throw that country in your prayer requests because Turkey needs the gospel just as much now as it did back then. According, verse two, to the foreknowledge of God, this is what we would call Um, language according to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is one but three. Foreknowledge of God that he knew in advance in the sanctification of the Spirit, setting us apart to be different. You should be different. Four, obedience. Obedience, obedience, obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood, which we would have nothing. A prayer, a praise, And then an opportunity, may grace and peace be multiplied in abundance to you. Peter's writing a very standard Jewish letter here. Verse 3, our verse for today, 4 and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Why? Because he caused us to be born again to a living hope. There's that word. Living hope is really interesting. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. All right, verse five, uh, excuse me, four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, verse five, by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is this living hope? Number one, let me give it to you, all right? First thing that we find out in regards to a living hope is in verse three. And that is, a living hope is alive because Jesus Christ is alive. It is not a dead hope, it's a living hope. And Peter's praising God for it. He is saying very specifically, blessed be to God the Father, or let us congregationally gather to give thanks to this God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to underline that in your Bibles, it's really important because this sets a trajectory in the New Testament time period that will radically transform the way that Jews and Gentiles see each other. God, who is our Father, has made himself known through Jesus Christ. If you're reading this, he is called the Son, and Peter takes how Old Testament believers viewed the living God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he uses this term, Lord, which links how people in the Old Testament saw God to how people in the New Testament saw God. In other words, there's five different places that he writes. Jews and Gentiles all gathered there. He's saying, God the Father who you worshiped in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ the Son in the New. They are the same person 
It is your common bond as believers. When you come here, you're very individual. You have individual traits. You look different than other people. You have different gifts than other people have. But the common bond that we have as a church is always going to be Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. If you find yourself populating a church and they don't talk about Jesus and the common bond we have because of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, you leave that church because it's not a church. The commonality that we have as believers is this Jesus. And Paul addresses the Corinthians the same way. He addresses the Ephesians the same way in the start of his letter. That word Lord is so important because in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we call that the Septuagint, okay? Lord, Kiros, is validated through Lord New Testament, the name of Yahweh, the living God, Old Testament. I am who I says I am. That word Lord is the same weight that people had in the New Testament. Peter is making a huge statement for believers. He's saying believers are alive because God, Jesus Christ, is alive. It is your common bond. Why? Because he showed great mercy to us. Keep going with the verse. It is the reason to give thanks because he was merciful towards us. He showed compassionate love. Mercy is leniency and compassion towards sinners. If you're a parent, you know what mercy is. You understand it all too well. If you are a son or a daughter, you know what mercy is. If your mom and dad gave it to you or if they withheld it from you, right? And there are times where all of us have been in this boat, to where we have not been given leniency, to where we have not been shown proper compassion, and where we have shown leniency, and where we have given proper compassion, and where people fail, your God never does. He always shows mercy to his people, not giving them what they should deserve, but he says, Peter says, in times of these crises, these persecutions, these problems that pop up in your life, God is more than just. It is not a season to divide, it's a season to be unified. Believers are alive because God, Jesus Christ, is alive, giving us mercy. His mercies are new every single day. You deserve far worse than you have it. I was listening to a conversation from a person the other day, and they said, life's just so tough. And I said, it is. Three meals a day, oh, it's terrible. Can't figure out which restaurant I want to go to. Life is horrible, right? I have to decide on what pair of clothes I'm going to wear in the morning it's so hard no God has been so merciful to us we live in an amazing time in history the father of our Lord Jesus Christ both God the father Old Testament and New Testament because of his great mercy has been merciful to us shown leniency and compassion to us you too should do the same for the people who are in your life you are called and commanded to have that same mercy because why because the verse says you're born again to a living hope now, this is fascinating. If you are reading this in the New Testament, so many first century religions claim to be born again. They talked about this all the time in their regeneration and regarding what they believe to be true. So if there are people who were there uh, and reading this letter, they would say, well, everybody's born again depending on what they believe. But it came from believers in the church of Acts. This new birth was adopted by New Testament believers because they couldn't describe what had transpired within themselves when they trusted Jesus. They're like, we don't have any other way to put this. So they were plagiarizing what New Testament believers had said to be true. 
So you get to these born-again believers who said, we are so radically transformed and different because we have adopted this mercy from God who has been given to us by Jesus Christ. It causes us to live in a way that is so different from the rest of the world. And you're probably thinking to yourselves, well, that's a new term. No, they got it from Jesus. Jesus meets a man who looks at him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to be in a relationship with you? He says, you have to be born again. And he says what anybody else would say in that situation. He says, you want me to climb back up into my mother's womb? You want me to just go ask? That's an awkward conversation that you don't need to have with your, with your mom, right? And Jesus says, no, silly. You must be born again spiritually, born again, transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, accepting that you're a sinner, believing that I am the Savior, that I have the ability to help you see clearly. There's a reason why Jesus made so many blind men see. It wasn't just physically, it's spiritually as well. We are alive because Jesus is alive and he gives clarity and he gives us the ability to see the world in ways that we never could see before. There's so many dead religions out there, isn't there? I mean, people who worship Muhammad or Buddha, and we would think about it, we're like, those are all third world. Okay, well, how about you worship in your car? or your stuff, or your house, or whatever the case is. Those are all dead things. They're dead. Jesus says, you're not dead because I'm not dead. If Christ can be resurrected from the dead, so can you. There's your living hope. It changes everything. I'm not believing in a Savior who falls short. I'm believing in a Jesus who is born again, who says you have new identity when you embrace a relationship with me. It's, it's like those of us who are married. You're no longer single. You're married, right? It's an amazing opportunity that you would be forever connected with another person and their your identity just as much as the opposite person is, Right? I'm changed. I'm radically transformed. I don't live as a single man anymore. I live as one who has a relationship with another. Jesus says you should live the same way because I'm alive. You can be alive. It changes your perspectives. It changes your daily assurance of salvation. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, has caused us to be born again, but it's a choice. You have to accept it. It's not about being good, it's about being godly. And being godly means understanding your depravity or sin. And that is how you start this living hope. Because Christ is alive, we are alive. Now he keeps going, look at verse 4. Let's reread it again because we probably lost it. This is amazing for us as believers. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You ever seen something that's so good you can't describe it? Like the other night, um, this is funny, you'll get a kick out of this. So I'm laughing hysterically the other night, right before we were going to bed. And uh, it's because I had my phone positioned just like this, and I dropped it, and it landed right on my nose, like right here. And Bethany was in, in the other room, and I'm laughing hysterically. Like, I can't control my laughter. I'm, I'm busting up laughing. And she comes in, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, how am I going to describe this to her? that I'm such a moron, that I let my phone slide out of my hands and it hit me in the face and I was so worried that like, I was going to have like, a black, a black and blue eyes this morning. So thank God that he was graceful to me last night. But she comes in, she's like, what happened? What, what happened? I'm like, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so finally I got it out. How's it apply to Peter? He can't tell the people how great God is. He's just, he's so elated over the fact of what God has done. So instead, he tells them the opposite about what happens if you don't have the Lord. 
He says, we are born into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Now that's fascinating here because what Peter says is a living hope is not just alive because Jesus is alive. It's an inheritance that is alive. You have an inheritance that is given to you by God the Father to be utilized. How many of us are going to go to our parents and be like, hey, is there any way I can tap into that inheritance before uh, you kick the bucket? It's not a good conversation that you should have with your mom and dad, right? It's awkward on multiple levels. And Peter's saying, listen, Jesus is alive, freely giving out his inheritance because of his death and resurrection. That word inheritance is a favorite image used to describe God's gift of salvation to those who trust in him. Paul talks about it in Galatians and Romans. And how did this happen? A long time ago, in the Old Testament, Jews had looked forward to this thing called a promised land. All right, way back in the Old Testament, they were promised this land of Canaan. And God said, this is an inheritance for you, earthly inheritance. And it was given to Abraham and then his children, okay? And as it was given to his children, then what we see is it's dispersed in the book of Joshua. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy tell us God's law and that God made a covenantal promise with Abraham. And he says, hey, this is what this looks like for you. And it's going to be given to your children. In Joshua, we see the uh, distribution that is given out to all of these children. Well, here's what happens with these nations. They essentially start following different things, and they start walking in different ways. And as they do this, they fall in love with the world instead of the Word of God. And so, they give up to foreign nations what God had given to them. So we wonder, like, what happened to the promised land? Well, they gave it over to idols, okay? So God says in the New Testament, I'm going to give you another inheritance. It's not earthly, but it's eternal. Paul says, if we are the children of God, we're heirs with him. We share in his sufferings and in his glory. So what does that look like? Well, Peter says this is what it's not like, okay? He says, first of all, the things that God gives you, the ability to read his word, spend time in prayer, access him whenever you want, be able to witness have the ability to encourage. He says the things that God gives you, number one, is imperishable. It cannot perish. It doesn't break down. Everything that you buy on this earth is going to break down. This, not going to happen. Number two, it's undefiled. It is free from stain. It cannot be polluted. It won't spoil. Number three, it's unfading. It doesn't lose its beauty or its quality. So what God is telling us is, Every time that we come to him, when we ask anything, he gives us an answer that will never break down. He gives us the ability to realize that it is pure, that his plans for you are pure. He gives us the ability to understand that it is beautiful and it doesn't lose its quality. Our inheritance from God is far too great for Peter to understand or describe, but he knows what it's not. Now this, I remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus meets a woman at the well. Did you ever hear this when you were a kid? So Jesus comes up to this woman and he has a conversation with her and she's like, who are you? And he says, right, let's talk about that in a minute. And he says, will you give me some water? So she gives him some water. And he talks about her husband. And she says, oh, I don't know about that. She says, I don't have a husband. She goes, he's like, I know you got seven of them. Can you imagine sitting there talking to Jesus and he's like, yeah, you're not married to one person. Like you got seven people, like you got issues. And the woman is so transformed by the conversation that she has with Jesus. She says, surely you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And she goes back and the people said, uh, why are you changed? What has happened to you? 
And she says to him, in the book, she says, John chapter 4, verse 29, she says, you need to see the man who told me everything I ever did. She can't describe what has transpired or happened to her. She just knows what it's not. It wasn't an experience for her where it broke down. It was pure. It was a conversation that needed to happen. It was so beautiful, the quality of it. She said, you just need to meet him for yourselves. And here's how this applies to us. So oftentimes with people, I think when we tell them about the gospel, we oftentimes need to tell them what God is not instead of tell them what God is. And we need to encourage them, come meet him for yourself. Come look at him for yourself. This is kept in heaven for you. Circle that word kept, if you would, in your Bible. Expresses a past activity in present day. God keeps his inheritance available in heaven because it's where God dwells. It's the safest place. It's Access can only be obtained by looking towards it. This is why in the Bible you're told over and over and over again to look up, look up, look to the things above. I'll give you four verses, Colossians chapter three. If you've been raised up with Christ, if you've confessed that you're a sinner, believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, then you keep looking where things are above, where Christ is. You set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Matthew chapter six, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Philippians 3, our citizenship is not on here, it is in heaven. Deuteronomy 28 says, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse. Where is it located? In the heavens. It's not here. It is up. Look up. This world offers no hope. Only what is heavenly does. It is true, right? People can't survive a whole lot without hope. They don't do real well with it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Like, just hope it rains tomorrow. Well, what if it doesn't? Like, does that ruin your whole day? I just hope she loves me a little bit more than she did yesterday. Well, that doesn't work that way, right? You're not in control of that other person. I just hope that at Christmas they buy me everything that I ever want and could ever imagine, right? Uh, Gentlemen, your wife cannot read your mind, all right? You have to speak up. You have to talk you have to communicate. Wives, all right? We can't understand what's going on in that brain of yours, all right? We don't want to go walking around in there. So it's just easier if you just communicate it to us, okay? Because when we look and we just hope for things, we realize there's painful experiences that happen there. There's fear of the future that happens there. Whatever you're facing, there are a lot of times when we look at it as believers, if you're facing injustice or disaster or a job situation that has gone south or you're sick, or your family situation is rough, or things are just all over the place. You don't just hope that they get better. You have to put your faith and trust in something that is more secure than that. That's why Peter is going to partner this verse in verse 4 with verse 5 that says it's guarded in faith. You have to believe in faith that God is working for the good of those who love him. Maybe not in ways that you want, but in ways that you need. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, that those that, ha- that don't have Jesus have no hope, but believers are blessed with a real life-giving hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's only assured to us through faith. You have to believe that it's true. So a living hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Living hope is accessing this inheritance on an everyday basis in faith, knowing that God is guarding and protecting us. The last thing in, that, in verse 5 is that it is guarded and it is protected for you and it links to the second thing. 
Just as much as God keeps, he also guards. Now that word guard is an interesting word because it means are being kept or being protected. It's active, right? It's not passive. It's a military term which essentially describes the act of protecting a city from its enemies. Think about it like this. It's like a safe within a safe. Okay? So, if our inheritance given to us by Christ is guarded and protected, this is what this means. No matter what trial or tribulation you're facing, your body can be hurt. Your emotions can be damaged. You can be wounded, but the soul can't. Okay, track with that for just a second. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to have pain. It's okay to feel. It's okay to go through sickness. It's okay to go through loss. It's okay to go through seasons of grief. It's okay to transfer from job to job. It's okay in those things because even though those things are earthly, they are not eternal because even though they kill this body, they cannot kill the soul. So there's oftentimes what we're doing. Here's what, what we're doing, all right? When we get into these situations and circumstances, we're looking forward instead of living upward. We're looking for forward progress instead of looking for upward progress. Instead of looking at it and going, how can I get out of this? What God wants us to do is, I want you to go through this. Oftentimes we're looking for an escape where God's saying, no, I don't want you to escape. I want you to elevate, and you elevate by relying on me, knowing that I'm guarding you, and I'm keeping you, and I'm protecting you, and yes, it's painful, but it has a purpose. So oftentimes we want to run through trials, and Peter will say in the next couple of verses that trials define us. They help us see if our faith is really worth it, if it's really solid. So if you're having a trial and a tribulation at work, or if you're going through a job situation, or if you're going through a health situation, or whatever it is, the goal is not to get out of it. The goal is to go through it for the glory of God who guards you and protects you, who is giving you an inheritance. This is not of this world. It is eternal because it's living because Jesus is alive. Do you get that? Like, that's huge. It doesn't matter what I go through in my life. God's going through it with me. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and here's my fear for the church, is that we don't know Jesus as our Savior. Like, we live in this ethical means where we're like, you know what? This is what God gives me. No, 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 hold on a second. The only thing God gives you is salvation, and then after that, it's all giving back to him. Life, actions, words, attitudes, everything gets to go back to him. It doesn't give me anything. It gives him all the glory and all the praise. There's too many people who don't understand their depravity as sinners. They don't understand how fallen we are as humanity. And so we don't rest in that fallen state about how much we're forgiven. You tracking? Like when I look at somebody and I'm like, and they're like, man, you're going through this thing. I just look at it and I go, yeah, but God's got this and he's good and he's guarding me, he's protecting me and they could kill me here on this earth. But guess what? When I reach glory, I'm high-fiving God all day long. Right? It's something to get excited about, man. It is guarded for you. It's not this religious action. It is this relational dependency. I am kept strong because of faith. You should circle that word faith. You should highlight it. You should put like 17 exclamation points on it. Because you have to believe that it's true. Okay? And here's what Peter says. This whole thing. Thanks for letting me get a little excited. He says, this is the salvation that is given to you to be revealed. Peter knows he's living in the last days, the end times. He says, listen, Christ is going to come. He's going to judge, I promise. It's like little kids who listen to their mom and they're like, hey, you're in trouble. Not now, but dad's coming home. 
right? That's exactly what Peter says. He's like, listen, if you want to escape the wrath of dad, you have to be in a right relationship with him. And sometimes we look at God like this father who just wants to punish us, and that's not him, if you're under the blood of Christ. In the Greek, um, that word time is an appointed time. It is the second coming of Christ. All promises of God will be fulfilled and Jesus will reign as king. Peter knew that he was living on borrowed time, the last time, okay? So what God has started will be fully disclosed when Christ returns. Let me give you a story. I found this, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's amazing. So there is a school and they had this program, it's in this big city, I hope that this is true, so, um, because it's so good. So they had this program, essentially these kids had gone through like a lot of trials. Um, some of them had been in accidents or just things had, had happened, and they found themselves in hospitals. So what the school did is they reached out to parateachers, and they said, these are teachers who have retired or, or maybe just aren't teaching at the current moment. And they said, is there any way that we could get these teachers to come in and participate um, with this program that we have where they would see a student and then they would be able to get them kind of like back up to speed. So when they do come out of the hospital, they'd be integrated in the classroom accordingly. And so one teacher, she finds out about this program. She's like, man, I could do that, right? She's a little bit older. She kind of retired. And she finds out about this program. And um, they give her this, this sheet. And they're like, you need to call the teacher. And she'll tell you about the student. And then you'll go over to the uh, hospital and you'll meet with this individual. Okay. So she finds out. She calls the teacher, finds out about this kid, Kenny. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go see Kenny. What do I need to know about Kenny? She's like, okay, first of all, we're uh, in nouns and pronouns, and that's what he's really um, behind on is nouns and pronouns. So you go to the hospital, and you see him, and you work on nouns and pronouns, and then we'll get him back into the classroom. <clears throat> so she goes into the hospital. She walks down the hallway, and a nurse stops her, and she's like, can I help you? She's like, yeah, I'm here to see Kenny. Um, I'm his parateacher, you know, to help him get back into the classroom. She goes, oh, just be aware that when you go in, like, things... Uh, might not be what you anticipated or expected. She's like, okay. So she walks in. She pushes the door open, and she sees a kid who's badly burned, been in a house fire, um, laying in the bed, and uh, he just kind of has no hope, right? I mean, his condition is really rough, and they're going through a lot of things, and mom and dad are kind of sitting next to him, and she says who she is. She's like, I'm a parateacher. My whole goal is to get them back into the class, and so she sits down next to the kid, and she says, we're going to start going through nouns and pronouns, and just like any other kid, he's like, <laughs> and uh, slowly but surely, day after day, she starts to work with this kid, and she says, hey, I'm going to get you to learn these nouns and pronouns. A couple weeks pass, She's walking down the hallway to go to his room, and the nurse stops her. She says, excuse me, um, I need to talk to you, and she thinks she did something wrong. So she immediately starts apologizing, like, I'm sorry, you know, I just, she didn't feel like she was getting anywhere, she just felt like things were all over the place, and um, she starts apologizing to this nurse if she's been an inconvenience, and she's like, no, 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 Shh, stop. She said, Kenny has responded to treatment when he was here, and when he first started treatment, um, he was really bad, and we thought he wasn't going to make it, but he has totally moved in this other direction where he is responding to his treatment, and things are starting to turn around, and he's even sitting up in his bed, and he's excited, like, this is amazing. What are you doing? And she said, I don't know, I'm teaching him nouns and pronouns. 
And so uh, she says, let's find out. So she takes the nurse and she goes into the hospital room. And she sits down next to Kenny's bed, who's now sitting up. And she said, Kenny, this is your nurse. And he obviously knows that. She says, hey, you have really transformed from the last time that we met, the last time that we talked. Um, And these couple weeks have been a massive amount of progress. Like people are really excited and encouraged about you being able to respond to this treatment. What was the catalyst for this? Like what, what changed from before I got here to now in these couple of weeks. And Kenny looks at the nurse, and he looks back at the teacher, he looks at the nurse, looks back at the teacher, and he says, you know, when I first got here, I thought I was a dead man. I didn't think I was going to make it. But they wouldn't send somebody to teach nouns and pronouns to a dead man. Okay. God wouldn't send Jesus Christ as a sacrifice so that you could stay dead. He gives you all the tools, everything you need in order to be alive. So why? Just asking. Why are we still struggling and wrestling with sin? Is it because we're still clinging to our deathbed? Or is it because Christ has made us alive? Something to think about. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I think the prayer is just, would you help us to realize how great of a God that we serve? Uh, Would you restore into this congregation the joy of our salvation and what it means to be called a child of God? If you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, a little blue bookmark, you can grab that. I'll walk you through the process. It's just a simple question. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you understand how much you've fallen short of the glory of God and making the motion by acceptance and just saying, God, I, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. He's not dead. He's alive. I personally have been to the supposed tomb that Jesus was buried at and he's not there. He is alive. And church, I don't know what your hospital room looks like. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if it's because you've suffered loss or you're going through sickness or whatever it is that you are going through right now. If you've lost a job, if it's marriage problems, if it's raising kids, if it's relationships with family members. I don't know. But let me just tell you something. God has come to your hospital room in a person. His name is Jesus. And he is accessible to you. And he is ready to teach you and instruct you and guide you. But God, we need to do our part. And we need to have faith and we need to believe that all things are possible with you. And that your ways are better than our ways. And that your truth is better than our truth. And that your spirit is better than our spirit. So we relinquish ourselves. And we ask that you would be in control. Give us your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet. Help us to live out this truth daily. So that all that we do, all that we think, all that we say would be honoring and glorifying to you. 
I love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your truth. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 